chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is God's word. Amen. Family, you can be seated. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. May you allow your word to speak to us. Would you allow your spirit to open our minds that we might hear from you clearly? And would you uh, empower us, Lord, with understanding to live out these truths? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes there is a, uh, a principle that you might not get the first time, so you need like a few different examples, a few different expressions, a few different manifestations so you could learn it. You need like some different ways by which you can grasp this concept. I remember I was about my my youngest son's age. I was five years old and and mama said, all right, I'm going to teach you how to cook, boy. I'm going to teach you how to use the toaster. She was like, all right, this is how you put a Pop-Tart in there. I was like, whoa. And she said, you could do a waffle. Whoa. And you can do toast. I'm like, whoa, okay. This thing can cook, okay. Got a little bit older, and dad and mom wanted to teach me about being responsible with my money. And so um, they they would say, hey, this is what it looks like to save, son, being responsible with your money. This is what it looks like to make wise choices, why you might want this bike, but this bike actually is a little bit cheaper and doesn't have the frills, but is a better use of your money, son, how to be responsible. This brother over here doesn't have as much as you do. I want to teach you how to be a little generous with your money. It was three different ways by which the principle of responsibility with money came through. Today in our text, Paul is communicating one principle, but he gives us three different examples, three different expressions, three different situations by where this principle is lived out. If you would turn with me to chapter five, we're going to be in chapter six for today's scriptures, but chapter five of the book of Ephesians is going to be a uh, a kind of linchpin verse by that helps explain the rest of our sermon for today. You know, we've been in the book of Ephesians for some time. 
Uh, We've been in a series called Walk It Out is what it looks like to, to live out our faith. God has called us. He loves us. He's connected with us. And he sets us apart for his purposes. And now what does it look like to walk this thing out, to live this thing out, to daily say, I want to live in a manner worthy of the call. And so we've been going through Ephesians and that's been getting broke down week after week after week. And Paul provides us some further insight. In chapter five, verse 21, Paul says these words. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus, we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so submission is the principle that Jesus is trying to teach through Paul's letter, through Paul's words to impact the Ephesians, this concept of submission. And then we get Three examples, three situations. Last time we talked uh, in the book of Ephesians, the first example was that of marriage. That in a, in a, in a God-centered family, that, that we are to have submission taking place. Yes, the husband is supposed to be leading what submission looks like because the husband is supposed to be saying, God, you are in control of this household. You are in control of my life. You say where I go and where I go, I want to follow your lead. I submit to thee. And then the wife, seeing a husband with that posture, also says, well, man, Lord, he in line with you. He trying to do what you do. I want to be in line with that type of leadership, that type of vision. So I submit to him. One of the things we shared, though, is that those are not conditional statements. It's not like, hey, well, I'll submit to you, God, if you give me dot, dot, dot as the man. Or that the wife says, I'll submit to the husband if he is dot, dot, dot. No, like we are submitting out of our reverence unto to the Lord. And so the first kind of environment that we get to communicate this principle of submission is one of marriage. Today, we're going to get two more examples. The next two examples are one of parenting, of, of, a, of a child and a parent. And the third example is one of a, a, a slave and a master. And so if you will, journey with me as we see Paul say, submission is something that applies to every aspect of your life. And I want to show you how it will surface, how it will come alive as you go throughout your day to day. And there's not a whole lot of life left once I get outside of your work, your marriage, and your kids. Not not a whole lot of situations where submission takes place outside of those three. So if you will, we were in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. It starts here by saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. Kids, children, we love you. We love you too, Pastor. I know, I know. <laughs> we, we, we love you, and it is great to see God's truth 
not only speaking about you, but speaking to you. You see, Paul realized that when he's speaking, he's speaking to families in a worship service. And even though a lot of his scriptural reference is to the adults, it's to the seniors, it's to the leaders. He pauses for a minute and say, kids, I got something for y'all. He says, I want you to obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. He acknowledges first that you are present, that you are valuable, that you as beautiful children can worship God. He says that you do this not in of your own strength, my children, but you do this in the Lord. So that's a a, a new mindset for us parents where sometimes we think real faith comes about as they are old enough to dot, dot, dot. But Paul seems here to say that, man, your obedience is in the Lord and you can't be in the Lord unless you are in the Lord. And so these beautiful young kids can have a vibrant faith. But then he says this is this is right. Right. Being in the will of God, aligned with who God is. Children, have you ever seen everything just kind of fall in place? Let me ask some of my younger people. They always start sliding down when they know Pastor's going to call on them. Um, Timothy, let me ask you a question. Can you name like the, your favorite video game right now? Minecraft. Minecraft. Okay, okay. And in Minecraft, what's something that you want to obtain? Like a, like a, I don't know, is there weapons in Minecraft or are there... Hearts or jewels? I don't know. Tell me, what's something that you want to obtain when you're in Minecraft? Diamonds. We want diamonds, and we're not even in Minecraft. That'll work. Diamonds. (laughs) You see, this being right is like you playing Minecraft, and you turn, and boop, a diamond is just right there in front of you. It It is just a perfect setup. It is just the right Situation. It's the, it's the will of God right there before you to experience when you celebrate and obey your parents. I was uh, remembering as a child times when we would, we would kick it with my friends the whole day. Mom had set me up for a joyous time where I had my homies spend the night. We would go to the park, play video games. And at the end of the night, as somebody talking about something and slob starting to come out my mouth, I just remember feeling like, Lord, this is like, right. You know, this is just fun. This is it. This is what God is saying, that you can experience something that is right, something that is in the will of God when you worship the Lord through celebrating your parents, through being obedient. But also he calls us in verse two to honor your mother and your father that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And pastor, how long am we supposed to honor our parents? Um, How long are they your parents? I mean, honoring mom and dad is, is something we do because hopefully a couple of things happen. Hopefully on the worldly side, they did a ton of stuff. They provided for you. They cared for you. They protected you. They helped you. But of most importance, 
is that we hope that mom and dad were the ones in their home that introduced you to a loving relationship with Jesus. And so the prayer is that we honor them, prayers that you would honor your mom and dad, not because they're perfect people, but because ultimately they pointed you towards Jesus. And that that has been the foundation that is cared for, celebrated, and allow you to have a, a thriving life. But, but, but pastor, you, you, don't, you don't realize that uh, my, mama come in here and, and the nails is all done, the shoes look nice, the, the dress is nice, and the hair look all busted. But when we go home, that pastor, she, she, she yank off this wig and she act like a different person. You want me to, you want me to honor her? Because for some of us, mom has been the most painful person in our lives. Dad has been the most crippling factor to our progress. And so, pastor, this says obey and honor. But remember, the call is unto the Lord. And I love how Wearsby says to honor our parents means much more than simply to obey them. It means to show them respect and love to care for them in a manner that, sh- that, that might provide and meet a need that they have, but we're also trying to seek to bring honor to God. And so as a child, you may have to establish some healthy boundaries. You may have to do some things that are different than your mom or dad would desire as you become an adult because you are ultimately honoring God. And if mom or dad would ever ask you to have a posture that compromises who you are in Jesus, their desires don't trump God's. But that still is not grounds for us to be disrespectful. Still is not grounds for us to be unruly. Still is not grounds ever for us to respond with a heart that lacks love and is out of a sinful posture. We still can love and honor, even if we don't act exactly as they would want us to. Amen? Amen. And so children, you have the opportunity to bless and honor your parents. But it's, but it's, but it's, it's interesting that each time Paul speaks, he kind of speaks to a, a, a person that has the opportunity to submit. And then he speaks to the person who has an opportunity to be an authority. Because parents, there's a a call for children to submit, but there's also a call to you, to us as well. Because guided in the spirit, the child can be nurtured, supported, embraced, empowered, praised, corrected. And all all this is under the umbrella of love. But when, when, when parents act outside of what Jesus has, even as a Christian, and we respond in ways that are sinful, we can provoke kids. We can we can we can provoke kids, get that get that idea of like a bear that's sleeping and you just keep nudging at it. You keep poking at it until you get a crazy response. And I've I've seen it not only in my 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 own life. I've I've, I've done it a couple of times, but but we can kind of do the the spiritual poker. You know how like the kid has an attitude. So they. Play the attitude card. And then you respond like, oh, <laughs> that's where we going? Okay, I see your attitude, because dad got one too. <laughs> I raise your attitude with no fruit snacks, because I know you hungry. 
And I also take away your roller skating party and your movie tomorrow. Boom. With your hungry self. See, we, we, we can take it to the next level as parents. And now we've heaped all and we can provoke a child. And God is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Submission is still mutual. There is a structure here. Submission doesn't mean we just move everything out the way and kids can do what they want and parents got to submit. No, no, there is still structure, but love them, care for them, look at them and see their need. And right now, even though they are wild and do they need to be pushed off the ledge to the next level or do they maybe need some more nurturing? Do they maybe need some more support? Do they, do they need you to amp it up? As if that's really going to help them calm it down. We see this great need for dependence on the Lord over and over and over again to be able to submit. Previously, there's this theme. You go to that next slide for me, bro. There's this theme you keep seeing in Ephesians 5.21 that the wife submits as to the Lord, that the husband submits as Christ loved the church, that the children submit in the Lord, that the parent submits as that of the Lord. Let's see if this theme continues as we talk about the next topic, a topic that I got to help you define a term because uh, terminology matters, especially in history. I remember when um, I started hanging with white people and um, I had some friends that were white, and so we were talking, and my white homie was like, man, let me tell you about this fight that was taking place, da 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 And then after some time, I realized contextually that what he meant by fight was that there was an intense argument. (laughs) Okay, okay. Because see, from my context... And from my upbringing, I was expecting someone to be bleeding. Because when you said fight, that meant something a whole different thing. And family, as as we come to this text today, there's there's a word that jumps off the page that strikes with your heart, and it's the word slavery. And, and, and as you read this text, you're going to have a gut response to the American slavery that is inhumane. But that is not the slavery that the Bible is speaking to. Let, let, let me, if I, if I could try to illustrate in a timeline, you'd have Jesus dying. The book that we are in is Ephesians. That's written about 60 to 62 years after Jesus dies. The first person to arrive in America is supposedly Christopher Columbus, and that's in 1492. 62, this book is written, what we're referencing today, 1492, And subsequently after, you have slavery beginning. These worlds are drastically different. Now, let me paint for you the 62 
picture. And I, and I understand why, why it would resonate with you to be pissed as soon as you read this, because oftentimes slave owners and slave masters used these scriptures from that was written in 62 to justify what happened in America. And it was just wrong. It was wrong. But don't read into the baggage that we carry. Don't read into the justification of sin that we've seen. Don't read into it and say, this is what Paul meant, because it's not. Let's read together. Verse five, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever God, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Craig Keener is a, uh, uh, a scholar uh, whose heart is pastoral, but also deeply researched in this area. And I want to read some of the context by which he puts this. He says that there were all types of different slaveries in the in the uh, rural areas and farms and 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 uh, outlying areas of the city. But Paul addresses a different kind of slavery. He wrote to urban congregations, primarily household type slaves. In the ancient Mediterranean, household slavery was unjust, yet it differed from the slavery usually practiced in the Americas, which was more like the plantation slavery mentioned above. The category slavery in his day and Paul's day included high status slaves. Some aristocratic women even married into slavery by marrying high class slaves, thereby improving their own social status the most powerful slaves of Caesar wielded more power than free aristocrats. More often, household slaves could save money on the side, sometimes buying their freedom and sometimes even buying other slaves, sometimes even while they were still slaves themselves. What, why, why am I spending some time here? I'm spending some time here because what we need to see is that slavery throughout history has always been an unjust paradigm. You, you won't even find in 60, uh, when, when this is written, a slave who was like, yeah, I love slavery. No, no, in, in no way. OK, but what, what you find is that is that. If we are going to really talk about the truth of what submission looks like, we have to talk about submission in environments where we don't want to submit. Environments where it feels like the, the, if any place you should not submit and Jesus is trying to say, I'm going to overthrow everything. I'm going to overthrow kingdoms that are structured here. I'm going to overthrow all types of injustice. There's going to be a day where I make all things new. But first... But first, I overthrow this world's system by starting with your heart. 
I, I first, I'm going to get the Wilberforces. I'm going to get all these different people. There's going to be abolitionists. Slavery's going to come down. Don't worry about that. But slavery does not get attacked by Paul saying, okay, so the way we submit is we get a militia together and go overtake the government. Let's go flip over the whole Roman area. No. Paul first starts with people. And he says, how do you worship God? You worship God where even a person of authority can't hinder you worshiping me. And so in this environment of slavery, what I'm calling you to is that of obedience, not because you can flex your muscle and your strength and overthrow. I'm calling you to this because it demonstrates that you have a posture that's even greater than your boss. Because in this environment, while slavery was bad, it more symbolized a a sweatshop environment than an American slavery environment. It more symbolized horrible work conditions. And I will say throughout history, sadly, there's many occurrences of the people who got the worst brunt of slavery were, were women. And that was the case in this culture as well, where um, sisters were sadly taken advantage of. But what Paul is saying here is to, to those that are working in this environment of, of authority, God is ultimately the one who will bless you, care for you, and deliver you. And what we saw throughout this era was that the the system of slavery was overturned because even slaves were winning their masters to Jesus. We saw masters begin to realize that now this is not simply my slave because my heart has changed. Now this is my brother. What I, what I used to do to this sister or this woman, I can no longer do because this woman is, is my sister. God shows no, no partiality. And so where the world is telling me that I have authority and that I am better than and that I am stronger than and I can enforce my will, God is saying we are the same. See, that revolutionizes the system that changes the structure when you have people that say, no, I submit to a greater structure than that of the world. We start to see structures like slavery crumble. And so we have here clearly uh, submission as a tool of sanctification a, a tool we get to look like Christ that much more, but also a tool that requires us to depend on Jesus. But we know that, that no matter what role you're in, you can fake it. People pleasing was not a role that started in the last 20 years, last 100 years that even within this relationship of one of authority and one of bond servant, that folks were giving their leaders lip service and actually undermining who they were. And God says, I see your heart. 
I want you to serve and live things out in a posture that honors and recognizes me. Why? Because you're doing this for the reward that is eternal. A reward that is eternal. In verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Paul elsewhere talks about the hope in 1 Corinthians of, of, of people be, being able to have their freedom. But he's saying your freedom in God and who you will be is not determined upon your freedom here. And so serve me with excellence. Serve me as a form of worship. But then there's a challenge not only to the to the bond servant. There's a challenge to the to the master. Because the master is called to do the same, to stop to stop threatening. Knowing that he who is both master and is yours in heaven and there is no partiality with him. God is calling the master to love his brother as himself and see himself as God would see them. See, these are radical challenges that Paul is giving a structured society where difference keeps getting pulled in, keeps getting communicated that you are different than one another, and God is trying to reset that mindset and say, no, you are one. But even in being one, there still is a societal reality. And we have still had crazy types of uh, work situations taking place today. Y'all know we in the D. We got uh, unions that run deep in the D. We've got some work relation issues that run deep in the D. And uh, I'm pro-union. I'm also pro-management. I'm pro-all when you live in godly. But the crazy part is that even in, in Detroit, we have some of the worst experiences or worst history between worker and boss relations. If you get some time, look at something called the Battle of the Overpass. This is basically where unions were started with GM. Then some unions were started with Chrysler. And Ford said, not on my block. So Ford would actually set up a group of henchmen, uh, i.e. security guards. And if anybody was even willing to speak about unionizing, they got a beat down. And sadly, one time when the union is beginning to to uh, pass out some leaflets in front, a reporter comes by and says, hey, can I ask you guys what you're doing? And as he does that, he captures the security guards coming over and beating down these union representatives. It was the first time America actually in 19, I think it was 37, America sympathized with the labor force. Because before that, we was getting shiny new cars. And, it, and what happened was we began to see 
now this now that they were caught, these leaders changed the way they dealt with their workers, sympathize and provide greater opportunities. And what God is saying is, don't wait till you get caught. Don't wait till it's all out there. Don't you don't need the reporter. I see. I see how you are treating humanity. I see how you're treating one another. I see how you are treating your brother. And so it was a call for us all to live out this faith. But I will say that it is a it is a it is a uh, it is a clear Bible principle that the institution of slavery is unjust. But I love that God doesn't continue to have in his word the aim that we keep after social initiatives. Primarily what God says is I want to grab your heart and then I want your heart to be passionate about God's justice. And so some in here will have a heart change and say "Ah, trafficking is jacked up. I'm going to see that come down. Someone else will, God will grab their heart and say, ah, slavery. Sadly, I was just reading an article last night in the UK. uh, Ten people were caught with a slave ring that's still going that affected 400 people. Like the slavery still takes place today. Like like the God says, I want to grab your heart and you to worship unto me, serve me. And as I take your heart and see that manifest in the world in these three different situations, you'll know that submitting to me will bring me glory, but ultimately it will lead towards structures being torn down. Nate, dog, Nate. That's great. That's great. He says, if you're a worker in an unjust situation, how do you balance the pursuit of justice with submission? Uh, I would first say that there's a call for us to do a self-examination first. Because even though you're in an unjust situation, it does not give you the onus to do sinful behavior. So because they're treating me wrong, it's okay for me to steal this, dot, dot, dot. Because they're treating me wrong, it's okay for me to show up late and leave early. Because they treat, you know, so first, you have to, we have to realize that what God is calling us to is a character that would exemplify and celebrate him. Out of that, we then, God willingly, have a heart that says, now how do we uh, strategically fight against the injustice that we're experiencing. And, and that could be unionizing. I mean, I, I, I don't know if the first people who created a union were Christians or not, but that's a strategic fight against people who had no health benefits, who were being um, killed on the job and replaced in a heartbeat. That was, uh, if I listed all the injustices that were taking place um, for the sake of uh, an industrial revolution, uh, you'd be blown away. But they strategize against those unjust situations and, 
and we have a, a, a very different work culture now than we did 70 years ago. And so I, I'm, I, I don't believe, uh, how do I say this? I, I want you and me to realize that sometimes we don't get to receive the, the fruit of our labor. That ultimately your, your goal is to bring God glory and experience him. And you might be the person that plants a seed for a union that doesn't materialize for 70 years. Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it for you to still live out godly character, fight even against injustice? Because there are many in Paul's era and in all the other eras of slavery that fought against injustice and were not able to receive or see the beauty of it materialize. But yet it took place. And so uh, let's be vigilant. Let's be about justice initiatives, but let's first be about godliness as, as we pursue those things. Amen? Amen. Great question, Nate. Let us, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do think if you have time to read the stories of, of men like uh, Wilberforce, William Wilberforce or Charles Spurgeon, who were not men that were, they were not perfect, um, but led out of God grabbing their heart and them seeing who God made them to be, they realized that even though the rest of the world was okay with slavery, that they could not see their brothers and sisters uh, treated in that way, and it led them towards a lifestyle that attacked the system. So, Pastor, I'm, I, I, I hear you talking about submitting. I hear it takes place in, in uh, the home. It takes place in the, 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 the child and parent relationship. It takes place in the, the work environment, the the bond servant and master environment. Why should I submit to God? Why is this something that that I should do when honestly I may not even want to submit? And if I do, I would do it kicking and screaming. This last illustration helps us to kind of see a little bit of the the reason why submitting to a beautiful holy God is 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 so important. Some of you have heard me share this example by Paul Alio Jr. He says that the captain of a ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. In the midst of our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices are shouting orders into the night, telling us what to do, how to adjust our lives. 
out of the darkness, one voice signals something quite opposite to the rest, something that almost seems absurd. But the voice happens to be that of the light of the world, and we ignore it at our own peril. Submission is not something to break you. Submission is not something to have you cowering before God. Submission is something to lead you towards a beautiful life, towards avoiding destruction that we navigate towards ourself. If you look back at that next slide, James, you look back, you're going to see in every aspect that all of these requirements of that of the Lord, wife as unto the Lord, husband as to Christ love the church, children in the Lord, parents of the Lord, bondservant as you would of Christ and master as to the Lord. We are called to be submitting to God. Jesus is the light of the world, offering you submission in him first and providing us opportunities to live out this God-centered posture. He's not offering a, a domineering leadership. Christ offers a servant leadership unto us, one where he says, I will love you, I will care for you, I will provide for you, I will nurture you. Won't you follow me? But the invitation is one where we have to respond with, Yes, I'll submit. Yes, you can lead. Yes, I will follow. If you desire more of Christ, if you desire that type of guidance, Macav Church is a place I would love to see you grow in what it looks like to submit to a holy God who loves you and walk with people who are trying to submit to one another. Family, let us pray together. Lord, submission is a, is a tough concept because we like to be in control. But my prayer is that you would allow us to, to learn how do we celebrate you, worship you, even in environments that we don't like, whether it be work, whether it be home, whether it be with our children, in our marriages. God, we need you. We need every one of those descriptions. We need to be in the Lord, of the Lord, with the Lord, around the Lord, in order to live out this faith. And Lord, you use something like submission to grow us to look more like you. Equip us to do it, that you might be praised in the end. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.